0: Welcome to episode number 51 of the Raising Killen podcast. My name is Marsh Naidoo and I blog at RaisingKillen.org where we curate resources for parents raising children with disabilities. In today's episode, I speak with Dara Bacon, who is the Communications Director of ARC Tennessee. Dara is going to share with us her story regarding advocacy and how she came to the ARC, as well as the work being done at this organization. Today's episode is brought to you by Green Mountain Support Services of Vermont. They will be hosting the upcoming 6th Annual Cerebral Palsy Conference. You can check out more about this at cerebralpalsyconference.org. The ARC is a national organization started by parents of children with disabilities in 1953. This was at a time where institutionalization of persons with disabilities was the norm. At the present time, the ARC has evolved into an indomitable voice for persons of disabilities both in the public policy arena, where they advocate for access as well as inclusion. Today, we are joined by Dara Bacon, who is the Director of Communications and Public Awareness at The Arc Tennessee. Welcome, Dara, and thank you for joining us today.
1: Hey, thank you for having me, Marsh. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Derek, can you tell us a little bit about the ARC, its mission, and and a little bit about its organizational structure for those folks um, who may not know about the ARC?
1: Absolutely. I would love to. So the ARC is actually a national federation. Um, We've been around since the 1950s, and our national headquarters is out of Washington, D.C., and they lead our congressional advocacy efforts at the national level. And then most states have what's called a state chapter. So I work for the ARC of Tennessee, that's Tennessee's state chapter. And then each state also has local chapters, which are often um, the ones providing like direct support services for families. So at the state level, um, here at the ARC of Tennessee, we lead more or less the, the advocacy efforts regarding state policies and public policy. And we also have pretty much a seat at the table when it comes to helping impact decisions made um, for the the disability community. And that can look like anything from um, statewide services to um, initiatives to um, support and um, increase the quality of life for those that have disabilities.
0: Darren, now you guys have like 600 chapters and a thousand programs. I mean, that scale seems phenomenal to me, uh, and I think that speaks to your guys' grassroots act- activism. We're going to get back to the ARC, but I think it's going to be really interesting for folks to know how you came to the ARC and a little bit about your your background story, Dara.
1: Sure, sure. Um, well, actually, I guess the, the story really starts... Um, when I was growing up in Kentucky, so I'm a Kentucky girl, (laughs) I was born in Bardstown, Kentucky. And um, I come from actually a big Catholic family. My mom is one of 13. And um, of all of her brothers and sisters, um, the 12th of the 13 born was um, my aunt Hetty and she was born downright awesome. She was born with Down syndrome. So from the very beginning, I was part of a big family unit that was all about inclusion and love and acceptance and um, just helping Hetty to live the best life that she could, even in a small rural Kentucky area. So um, the story starts there. And then um, as luck would have it, uh, when I became a parent um, a couple of weeks before I gave birth to my first son, we found out he was gonna be born with Down syndrome. And so now I get to to step in or have embraced the role of being a parent of an individual uh, with Down syndrome, but also got the chance to really um, see what that was like from a family member perspective with my Aunt Hetty and growing up. Um, so we're in Nashville, Tennessee now. Um, my son, Uriah, uh, that has Down syndrome. And, and let me just put it this way. His extra chromosome is only one part of who he is. And I can get to that in a little bit. Later too, but um, among his many great qualities is his extra chromosome, and it's been incredible to see the difference in, you know, having an individual um, as you know part of the core, uh, core person of your family unit, um, having a disability and living with a disability in 2021, compared to seeing my aunt Hetty. Um, and growing up and living with a disability, she was uh, born in um, 19, let's see, I think it was 63. Do I have that right? No, 69. Um, and she, I mean, just the way that she... Um, you know, the, the resources given to her are, are vastly different from the resources that are available to Uriah. And so I'm, I'm rather committed to um, expanding and increasing not only the resources, but just the overall inclusion and acceptance and seeing individuals with disabilities embraced for the individuals that they are and recognize that, you know, their disability is only one part of who they are. Um, there's We're all unique, right?
0: Absolutely. For those of us not in the know, how do we even begin uh, advocating for our kids? That might just seem like a daunting process or something we may believe that not be within our scope. I mean, can you shed some light to that and shed some light onto how we could advocate for our kids
1: Absolutely. Yes. Um, I I love it when families and and self-advocates themselves get to advocate for what's important to them. You don't have to have a disability to be an advocate um, in the sense of of just paying attention to the policies and the everyday um, decisions that impact your quality of life. Uh, We're reminded of that more uh, in the disability community because there are so many decisions that come down Um, that impact that that marginalized population. But for me, um, it wasn't until I was a parent, I kind of stumbled into advocacy. (laughs) And what I mean by that is that um, we had actually signed um, up to receive family support funding. So the the state of Tennessee has um, a little bit of funds in their state budget set aside for families that have increased medical costs and other things when you have a, a dependent with a disability. And it's known as family support and the arc of Davidson County, uh, one of their direct ways of of supporting families with disabilities here in Nashville is to help the families go through the process of of signing up and receiving that support. And we had been on the wait list for almost two years, I think, (laughs) to receive the the support, which in this region was at the time, I think, $800 or $1,000 a year. Um, but we had just gotten the news that Uriah was going to need SMO orthotics. And those things are tailored to a person's foot and can <laughs> run anywhere from a couple thousand dollars to um, just shy of like $4,000. And so that was a bill that we were not expecting to receive. And he had to have SMOs, I think, the first six years of his life. Um, and so we get the phone call that we've received We're going to be receiving the family support, and it was so encouraging. And um, a couple of weeks later, I get an email from the ARC Tennessee letting us know that um, the family support budget section um, is is ultimately maybe about to be voted off of the budget. (laughs) So it was, you know, really happy day to know that our family was going to be getting some more um, support. And then a couple of weeks later, it was devastating to hear that um, legislators may be choosing to eradicate that from the state budget. Mm -hmm. And so um, I saw it as an opportunity to go meet our local representative. Um, And when we did, I actually took Uriah with me and he got to wear his new orthotics (laughs) And I think I brought the invoice of the little plastic orthotics because it would really blow your mind how expensive these things are, um, but they're so needed, you know, and that's just one little facet of an example of um, the different, you know, just the different costs but also the different responsibilities families have. you know it's a it's an evolving um, journey to mold and modify. Uh, navigating a life with a disability. So, you know, his needs now at nine years old um, are different than his needs when he was two. And so we don't no longer need orthotics, but we do need behavioral therapy and support with personal hygiene. And so we're just going through this journey, but I can tell you that that's where the advocacy career started for me and for Uriah. And it was a beautiful thing to be able to take him to meet his own representative and it was such a great experience. Um, our representative um, was just so embracing of Uriah, and we just had a, a great discussion. And I got to tell him, like, we're we're so looking forward to this support. Please don't, please don't vote it out of the budget. And we were able to maintain it in the budget, and that felt like such a big victory. And then it it kind of opened my eyes to pay a little bit closer attention to the policies that are impacting our family directly. And what I found was that oftentimes the local government was impacting Uriah just as much, if not more, than the federal government. So that's where I kind of started paying closer attention um, is what was being decided in our district and then in our county and then in our state. So I'm really happy to be working for the Ark Tennessee. I feel like it It's so complimentary to to what I want to do as a profession, but also helping me stay in the loop as a parent as to how I can make the biggest difference.
0: So Dara, how does the arc now play into the public policy? Are they keeping an eye of the the laws that are being passed on the federal state uh, level? How is that being done? Yes. Yeah.
1: Great question. So um, one of the best ways I can answer that is that, you know, the ARC US keeps an eye on it at the federal level. The ARC Tennessee keeps an eye on it at the state level. And, you know, for the listeners who are tuning into the podcast, um, I'm just going to take a moment to encourage you to look up the ARC in your area, um, both the state chapter and if you have a local chapter. And again, remember that state chapter is going to be doing more of the legislative advocacy at the state level, um, and then the, the local chapters are really going to be able to provide more of those direct services to families and, and caregivers. But as far as advocacy goes, um, depending on what level you really want to pay attention to, you can pay attention to all of them, you can track all of them, but the ARC is, is basically um, the organization that's going to help you stay connected and keeping those um, advocacy opportunities in front of you so they can let you know. It's almost like we do the pre-sorting for families and for individuals. We keep an eye on the legislation that's going to impact our population. We're also leading the charge when it comes to maybe proposing a bill that would um, positively impact the community, um, the disability community. And so one of the ways we do that here, we actually have a public policy call. That's open to the public for anyone to join um, when legislative the legislative assembly is in session here in Tennessee, and um, families can join in on that. We're hoping to cater our social media campaign and uh, sending out alerts to families and posts regarding what's up during legislative assembly. So we're trying to diversify how we're getting in touch with families who are impacted So that's what we do at the state level. Now, the chapters can also let you know what's being decided at more of the local level. So we're kind of like a funnel of information. Um, If you get connected with us, we're going to continue to connect you with the the public policy changes or um, suggestions that are coming down the pipe. And then you can kind of filter from there what you want to get involved with, what's important to you, things like that. Does that make sense, Marsh?
0: Absolutely. Uh, tell me a, a little bit about the the programs that you guys have in place, Dara, uh, that um, may help uh, individuals with disabilities through the lifespan.
1: Sure, sure. Um, so the ARC Tennessee, we have several programs in place that 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 pretty much serve um, and support individuals with disabilities and their families throughout the entire lifespan. So the ARC um, should have the reputation of being able to assist throughout an entire individual's life. It's not just in the adult. That's where we've earned our reputation, hard and true, um, and the years of advocacy, especially in that adult transition, um, when someone is is transferring out of um, Uh, school and into adulthood, you know, the Arc is very involved in that transition, but reality is the Arc Tennessee, we actually just launched um, in the last year, our family engagement team, and we secured a grant through the Department of Education to offer special education supports for families and teachers in the, the exceptional education field. And that goes from um, north, south, east and west all over the state. We have eight different regional um, areas that we have family engagement specialists and they go to schools. They support the teachers. They are at the um, school fairs and just providing the information um, and aligning resources is what they're what they're really capable of of, of doing. So that's one way that we support the school agers. Um, During the transition from um, school to adulthood, one of our programs that we just recently launched um, that was spearheaded by the ARC and the Council on Developmental Disabilities, as well as Disability Rights Tennessee. So three big um, collaborative organizations working to pave the way for a trailblazing program that isn't really replicated anywhere throughout the nation right now. And so, we launched what's called the Tennessee Center for Decision-Making Support. And that is an online resource, but also a team of individuals that can assist families in navigating how to best support someone with a disability who's becoming of age and maturity, um, but may need extra or additional supports to be able to make decisions on their own or just understanding and, um, uh, I guess, assessing the, a person's ability to make those decisions and what it looks like to foster and grow that ability um, to where they can live as independently as possible. But the beautiful thing about the Center for Decision-Making Support, and one thing that I'm really proud of with it, you know, thinking back to my Aunt Hetty, <laughs> yeah. uh, Hetty needed a lot more support than most. And, and there, there shouldn't be any shame and um, what level of support a person needs. But there should be a lot of intentionality as to coming to the decision of what level of support an individual needs. And so this website that we have worked hard to create, this online resource, is really written in plain language and neutral language. This is not a place to come to feel judged or insecure about having to need more support or less support. There's no right amount of support, but we wanted to facilitate the discussion about, you know, what what is supported decision-making and how can we help families understand that that can even start at school age when someone is a minor. And and how can we increase um, a person's ability to make decisions on their own and for themselves and/or having the support of their, their their family and their core support team? So it's just a it's an unbiased place to go for great information that's written in an easy to understand language. And what's beautiful about both of these resources, the family engagement um, resources as well as the Center for Decision Making Support is that um, and the Arc Tennessee's website are all um, virtually accessible so if you go to our website and click on the accessibility and language button you can actually have all of our content translated into a hundred different languages instantly and you can also modify it based on visual or hearing or learning disabilities Um, to be able to receive the information so we're trying to bring down the walls you know we worked so hard in the 1970s um, to to um, make headways with the ADA and and now it's like you know we've done what we can to make the physical barriers for people with disabilities um, not really exist.
0: Now we need to focus in on the digital barriers.
1: Correct. Correct. So we've tried to be very intentional with the the virtual accessibility of these resources and and reaching families, even that don't even have Internet. Like, how do we still reach people who are not connected on the Web um, to get the information they need, especially in some of these rural communities, which, as you know, is really important to me, having come from a small town in Kentucky? You know, so so I hope that answered the question.
0: Absolutely, Dara. Now, how how can we um, learn more about, for example, if there's a local chapter, what would you recommend that we do? How do we source more information about the advocacy, uh, um, you know, what's happening? Opportunities. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, well, um, one thing you can do, if you visit the ARC U.S. website, the ARC of the United States, um, it will actually tell you where the chapters are in your area and what your state chapter is. So my first initial thought is to, um, if you're not in Tennessee, of course, you can visit the arctn.org uh, to figure out everything available in Tennessee. But if you just happen to be in any of the other states, you can go to the ARC of the United States and look up the, the direct contact information for all of your local and state chapters. Um, And then um, every, most every ARC has a public policy section, either on their website or on their agenda. And so just getting in touch with the ARC in one capacity or another to look at those public policy initiatives. Um, I know the ARC US does a really great job of posting their public policy initiatives. So you can, you can learn in an instant what their, what's on their agenda, what they're keeping an eye on. I know COVID-19 is a big platform that they're paying attention to right now and what's available to the essential workers of the disability community, otherwise known as direct support professionals. So you'll most likely find information like that on their page right now, along with a lot of other initiatives that they're, they're keeping track of. So that's, that's an immediate way to do that. Um, I would also encourage you, if you're reaching out to your state or local ARC chapter, see what they offer in the ways of being alerted are notified regarding certain uh, legislative efforts and and how you can stay connected. So it's a beautiful thing that we're part of a national federation that every chapter operates differently. We all have our own boards and our own bylaws. So the way in which we go about achieving this mission looks radically different from chapter to chapter, Um, but you can rest assured that public policy is one of our main platforms to be able to um, inform families and individuals about. So just see what they offer and sign
0: up. Uh, In terms of uh, parent action, what kind of investment uh, uh, in terms of, for example, time might be needed for parents to advocate and, uh, you know, uh, be supported by an organization like an ARC? What type of commitment is needed from parents?
1: Oh, that's a great, that's a great question. I think the best answer I could give you, (laughs) the completely honest answer is um, come, come with an open mind and an open heart and understanding what is at your capacity to give and get involved. So again, this should be approached as, you know, if this is important to you, whatever time, whatever effort you can give it is going to, it's going to be and should be well received. I remember when I took Uriah down to meet his uh, representative. I just remember being—I um, guess you know, especially as a new parent, you think you're the busiest person in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking, if I'm going to go meet one person, who is the best, most important person for us to meet? And I remember asking Matt, to the director of communications for the ARC at the time. And um, and I got the answer. It was like, meet your local representative. And I was like, okay, let's do it. Because I think it was going through the House of Representatives at the time for the budget. And so, you know, regardless of how much time you have, just be, be sure to be intentional. And if you don't know how to be intentional, then you can ask. And I think a trusted source to ask about that intentionality is the ARC.
0: What would be your takeaways to leave us with today, Dara? I think you left us with an awesome one, Um, you know, right there. uh, Make sure that you contact your state representative here in the U.S. But what would be another takeaway that you leave us with?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Well, you know, um, that's, that's a really great question. I would say it's all about using people first language. Um, you know, advocacy is important. And I know we've discussed that so much, but sometimes advocacy starts with a simple conversation or approaching someone with a disability. If you don't have someone in your life with a disability, um, this this doesn't need to be an ambiguous population to you, you know? But at the same time, I understand it's kind of hard to go and have a conversation with someone you don't know a lot about or don't know how to start that conversation and then we often hear people referring to a person with a disability oftentimes the disability is put first in the sentence so for example i often hear oh you know your son is he downs and and when i hear that i just understand like oh they probably don't know what people first language is Um, it's clear as a mother uh, to see that my son is so much more than his his extra chromosome, but um, oftentimes we lack the um, the experiences of hearing it phrased in a way that is respectful to the individual more respectful. So um, the ARC-US has it really stated clearly on their website about what people-first language is. So I guess the biggest takeaway I could leave you guys with today is thinking that people-first language really emphasizes the person, not the disability. And so by placing the person first, the disability is no longer the primary defining characteristic of an individual. So, and it can be as as simple as... um, flipping the order of your words. So instead of a disabled person, you refer to the person as a person with a disability. Instead of saying, oh, is your son Downs? (laughs) You can say, oh, does your son have Down syndrome? See, the son came before the Down syndrome and that he has Down syndrome doesn't define him. It's just one part of who he is, um, and he is pretty awesome. In fact, we joke we always introduce him as have, as being downright awesome, because <laughs> there there is nothing down about it. Like he is truly like a joy and a privilege to have in our lives. And um, but I, I love hearing people really acknowledge him as an individual before really recognizing. His disability—that's a—that's a beautiful thing, and I think if you approach any population with that in mind, um, you know you're gonna you're gonna keep your channels of communication open better.
0: Dara, that is a gem of a takeaway. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, I've enjoyed our chat and. Um, I would encourage you guys to please look at the websites. Dara, I will have, if you don't mind repeating those again for our audience. Sure.
1: So the ARC of Tennessee's website, uh, you can find it at www.thearctn.org. And the Center for Decision-Making Support is www.tndecisionmaking.org. And our family engagement is simply TNFamilyEngagement.com.
0: Tara, so check them out. <laughs> Guys, until we see you the next time, as always, remember, get to the top of your mountain. This is Marsh Naidu signing off.